This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Now it's time to get our medical and psychological experts. So many of us have so many questions and concerns, and it is hard to get through to the official government phone lines. There's new information Every day, some of the latest has to do with how age affects COVID-19. At first, we heard quite definitively that younger people would not get very sick. Well, some new numbers from the Centers for Disease Control in the U.S. show something very different. They show that nearly 40% of the people who had to be hospitalized so far were between the ages of 20 and 54, and nearly half of the 121 patients who were admitted to intensive care units were under 65. So, uh, younger people, if you're feeling that no, this is, couldn't be a big, huge problem for your health, that's probably not true. Also, many of us are feeling extremely anxious, and there are strategies to help us calm down. Let me give you the numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. With that, I'd like to welcome Dr. Matthew Miller, Associate Professor with the Institute for Infectious Diseases Research at McMaster University, and Dr. Steve Jordans, Professor of Psychology at the University of Toronto, Scarborough. Thank you so much for being with us. Great to be with you, Libby. Thank you. Okay, let's start with Dr. Matthew Miller. And it seems that we have new information uh, about how this affects younger people. You know, we we saw those disturbing pictures out of Florida with a bunch of uh, kids on a beach close together partying. Uh, we've seen weird, disturbing things like on, on social media, the hashtag boomer remover, but, but this can be a very serious health crisis for a young person too, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's certainly not something that should be taken lightly. Although the case fatality rate um, isn't exceptionally high for young people. There are a lot of young people being infected, and by virtue of that, there are going to be a lot of young people who are seriously infected. And I think what's really important for young people to recognize is um, just because the number of young people who seem to have died is low doesn't mean that the number of severe illnesses is also low. And frankly, if you're sick enough to be hospitalized, you're, you're in bad shape. Um, and so it's, not, it's certainly not something for young people to be complacent about. Okay, yeah. Uh, and I'd like to bring in Dr. Steve Jordans. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Fine. How are you? Very good. Thank you. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I have uh, talked to people here, you know, who clearly are anxious. Uh, I think it changes every day, but 
I guess just the uncertainty of it all is something that is really putting people on edge. Yeah, I mean, it should be hard to find someone who isn't anxious these days. Uh, We have the perfect sort of recipe for it, which is, you know, just this unknown future where we're not really sure uh, if we're in danger or not. So that kicks in our threat system, our sympathetic nervous system. Usually that system is there to help us, you know, take on some immediate threat that's, that's in front of us. But in a case like this where the threat is chronic and sustained and, and especially where the magnitude of it, both in terms of, you know, how, how serious and how long will it last, uh, is uncertain. So that's kicking in our fight or flee systems. And, and that's what we feel that we are, our body is ready for action and, and we kind of feel like we need to do something. And, and at its root, that's what that anxiety response is. Mm-hmm. Is there any, uh, kind of effect where you know this is it it's a it's a new normal it's strange but you kind of get used to it no well um some yes and no maybe i mean with the new news and and with the continual news so we are all becoming addicted to the news which which is also sort of predictable on psychological principles anytime some rewarding thing happens to us in a sort of random way and right now we're hungry for information so when information comes out now and then, we start feeling like, oh, that next bit of information might be just around the corner, and we can become addicted to the news, in which case we are constantly bombarding us ourselves with the stimulus that's telling us there's a threat out there, there's a threat out there. And, and in fact, one of the first things that I recommend people do is really budget your news consumption. Pick, pick a couple of hours a day or something, get your information hit, then maybe have a palate cleanser after that of some silly comedy or something to try to get you know, some of that out of your mind and try to spend a lot of your time not thinking about it. Um, but, but the climate right now is really pushing us all to kind of obsess upon it. And that's dangerous because, as, as the doctor can tell you, if, if these stresses are chronic and, and stick around, our immune system starts to become compromised, which actually makes us more open uh, to the disease. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that. And people, I, I hope that we are part of your news budget, but mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. There's also breathing and exercise. And um, this a, a is a uh, more, I, if I could say, there's something called guided relaxation. Uh, and I would really encourage people to go looking on the internet for videos or tapes where somebody will just, with their voice, will just walk them through a process where they can really learn to totally relax their body. And that is the antidote. You cannot be both anxious and relaxed at the same time. And I think this is a core mental health tool right now where people, before they go to bed, should listen to guided relaxation. If they listen to it enough, they can actually get pretty good at putting themselves into that relaxation state when they feel their emotions kind of pulling up. Um, so as a single best thing for people to do for mental health, I would say um, spend some time uh, listening to guided relaxation of some sort. Uh, th- thank you for that. And I, I was going to give uh, my own tip, as many people know, I've had cancer twice, so I'm pretty good at managing that type of anxiety. And I used to put a, a limit. It's like I used to tell myself, you can worry about this for another 45 minutes. And it worked. I would just like, okay, time's up. I have to uh, go and watch a comedy or go and cook dinner or whatever it is. Yep. And uh, you can tell yourself to do those things. Dr. Miller, um, one of the other things I want to ask about, and uh, we had it here on Monday, I think, where there was some information out of France that suggested that ibuprofen can make 
COVID-19 worse. So if people are sick with it, they should try to control their symptoms with acetaminophen, with Tylenol. But then we've just seen something from the World Health Organization that that, that may not be true, correct? Yes. Yeah, so those that release out of France was um, uh, premature, in my opinion. They they had some sort of anecdotal observations and theoretical thoughts that ibuprofen could be problematic, and and the reason for that is, I think, in some ways, based on the fact that potent anti-inflammatory steroidal drugs like prednisone, for example, we know that those shouldn't be used to treat um, coronavirus infection. Uh, ibuprofen belongs to a class of drugs called a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. And so people were making sort of hypothetical associations between the two. Um, but there are, there are really key differences. Um, so right now, there's, there's no strong medical evidence to suggest that ibuprofen is problematic. Um, but you can be sure that people are, are looking, you know, very carefully into that. Um, if listeners are, are overly concerned, though, there's certainly, you know, um, no harm with using uh, Tylenol or acetaminophen, paracetamol as an alternative, um, so long as they are not taking any other drugs that would contraindicate its use. Okay, uh, before we get to the callers that are now lined up, I do have another question. You mentioned prednisone, and I know that uh, people with asthma can be on prednisone or other steroids. And I've seen, you know, it makes sense that people with asthma would be more compromised or be more at risk. Can you tell me a little bit about that, Dr. Miller? Yeah, so uh, most recommendations that are coming out right now for people who are on drugs that may compromise their immune system is to check in specifically with their specialist. They shouldn't um, take it upon themselves to to stop treatment. And the reason for that is because if they stop treatment, their underlying disease may flare up, which may put them at even greater risk of becoming severely ill than by staying on the drug. Um, in addition, if, if you know, stopping medication means they have to go to hospital, that also puts additional strain on hospitals and potentially puts them at higher risk of being exposed because people who are sick with coronavirus are also going to the hospital for treatment. So anyone who's concerned about an existing drug that they're taking should check in with their specialist for specific guidance based on their risk. Okay. Thank you. Let's take a couple of calls. Daryl in Toronto. Hi, Daryl. Hello, how are you today? Fine, how are you? I'm hanging in here. I got a quick question. I live in a house. It's a back split. There's like people in an apartment down in the basement. The landlord lives on the ground floor, and there's three of us upstairs. So there's eight people here. It's all one house with a ventilation system. If one of us were to be quarantined, does that shut down the whole house, or how does that work? Dr. So, Miller. Yeah, so... Um, Right now, uh, I don't think that there is any need to be concerned about um, shared ventilation. The, the available data suggests that the virus is spread uh, primarily through respiratory droplets, and these are basically like bigger, uh, you can think of them as like spit particles that you release when you cough or sneeze that can typically only travel um, 
you know, a meter to two meters at most. And so um, the shared air supply shouldn't be uh, a major concern. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, one quick comment I want to make. All the uh, panic buying that was going on, you know, last week or whatever, um, it would seem to me that that's the perfect way to just spread this thing around. <laughs> Yeah, certainly. I agree. I mean, if people are, you know, flocking in large numbers to grocery stores, for example, um, that that basically, you know, flies in the entire face of this whole idea of physical distancing. Um, I think that there, you know, one could argue that the messaging from uh, the government could have been a little bit better around that. I think, you know, that could have been entirely avoided by simply telling people that despite these uh, physical isolation measures, that, you know, grocery stores and essential supplies, pharmacies are going to remain open. You know, there's no concerns around food or supply shortages. Um, and I think that would have eased people's anxieties a lot. They're, they're certainly saying that at, at this point. And I also want to make the point that even in Italy, which is swamped under with this, there's not been an issue with food. Yeah. And, and if, I, if I could jump on too, I think you know, we need to learn lessons all, all through as we go through this. And, and the lesson we learned there is, first of all, the, the power of the social media to take a little pocket of irrationality because really like the, like the toilet paper thing really happened originally in Australia and it probably would not have been widespread had it not been so dramatic of a video and put on social media everywhere. And, and then suddenly people see this and through observational learning, that can make them believe that's an intelligent thing to do and they should be doing it as well. Uh, and so we can take from that line of sort of control and we are, we do all have our anxiety kind of humming away at a, at a fairly high level. And so it doesn't take us too much to push into sort of emotional irrationality of that sort. And I, and I think we all have to kind of look at that and say, okay, there, there's going to be something else. There's going to be some other pockets of irrationality that are going to happen. We should expect that. But we should also learn the lesson and say, okay, just because, you know, somewhere in Texas or somewhere in who knows where um, they're freaking out for this reason, let, let's, let's take a rational look and make sure that, you know, we're doing the right things. So I think there's a reflective lesson to learn. Okay. And you know what? Social media is such a huge source of fake information and conspiracy theories and nonsense and evil nonsense of every kind. My recommendation would be don't go there for COVID related stuff. You know, keep it to the cat videos, (laughs) (laughs) which, which will probably distract you, but, but really, um, go to, good sources of information and uh you know you know what they are yeah. uh, i'm going to get right to the phones we've got marianne and whitby hi marianne hello there Libby, and good afternoon to all and thank you for taking my call go ahead yes i have a question for either doctor or, or both uh we seniors and i'm also asking for the seniors around me they're t- telling us to stay in or to have food delivered. My question is, when you, for instance, you have chicken delivered or even a pizza, everybody loves pizza, right? Could there be the COVID-19 be transmitted to the food you're eating? This is my question. Nobody addressed this. Yeah. I, I think that the, the risk is very small. So, um these viruses, uh, I, I guess you're specifically referring to like takeout. Um, 
viruses like coronavirus, while they can persist on some surfaces, they don't do very well uh, in heat, for example. So, it, you know, if you're ordering hot food, the, the likelihood that the virus would be transmitted via food is very low. Obviously, um, uh, for groceries and things like that, most things are packaged and you should, you know, wash your fruits and vegetables anyway. But um, the overall risk of transmission uh, via food is, is very, very low. What about on uh, if people are worried about the containers that, that they get? I mean, you know, I, I think takeout places are taking extra precautions and everybody's wearing gloves. But is is there any worry about, you know, that styrofoam or cardboard or whatever they come packaged in? Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely theoretically possible. Again, the risk is very low. I think what people, um, more so than being, you know, really um, um, focused on, you know, cleaning off these packages, I think what's actually a more efficient way of people protecting themselves is just ensuring that after they handle those things, and, and especially before they eat, they, they give their hands a good wash, and that would be sufficient to ensure that, that transmission doesn't occur. Okay, Marianne, thanks for your call. Okay, let us go to Warren in Oshawa. Hi, Warren. Hi, Libby. Thanks for taking my call. Hypothetical question. I self contain myself for 14 days. I go out for a walk by myself, wash my hands when I come home and all that. Obviously, I'm running out of food. So after my 14 days, that does not mean I'm immune to the to the virus. Is that correct? So um, are you talking about in the case that uh, if you've been infected by the virus? I'm not infected, but the PM and the media, you know, they want you to self-quarantine yourself for 14 days. So everybody starts doing that. Obviously, people are going to run out of food in 14 days. Just so a minute, again, only in certain circumstances, if, if you've been in contact with someone who, or you're coming back from abroad, um, if, you're, if, you're, if that's not your situation, you don't have to self-isolate. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I understand that. But, you know, like just some of the media has been really pushing, you know, self quarantine yourself. You mean and, social right, yeah. distance? So I, I think what you're referring to is there's definitely been a been um, the advice that people should maintain physical distancing. And, and basically, that recommendation means that they're encouraging people to stay at home as much as possible. It's okay to go and get groceries. Um, but obviously, um, the best thing to do, especially if you're um, a senior, for example, is to try and get those groceries at off time so that that your probability of uh, encountering someone who might be infected is as low as possible. Um, I think we understand that, that, you know, people need to get food and essential supplies. And so that would be ideal. The other possibility, again, would be to use grocery delivery services or maybe have a family member who's at lower risk or a friend um, help bring the groceries to you. And, And if I can just sort of add a psychological component to that, that idea, especially if you're older, of forming a really good connection with one or more people in your family um, and having that, like, if, if they can help you, that will actually help them feel like they're doing something. And we're all looking for um, the ability to do something positive during this time. And so the social connection you have, like, you should never feel worried about asking somebody like it's a chore. You're actually, in a sense, 
giving them an opportunity to do something, which is what we all want to do. And, you know, having that connection can be very important for all of us. One of the tricky things of the situation we're in is one of our primary ways of dealing with stress and anxiety is through social connection. I mean, the hug is a powerful thing, and and we're now, you know, not allowed to engage in in that sort of um, connection. So we have to find ways of using the technology or just a simple phone to have those connections and asking somebody for some assistance, again, especially if you're in a higher-risk group, um, is is something that that would be a very good thing to do um, for all sides. Yeah, and and keep in touch with your yeah. network, with your family, with your friends, uh, especially if they live alone. Yeah, uh, we, we you know, establish all those connections. Yeah, I've heard some people say, let's not call it social distancing. Let's call it physical distancing. Yeah. I don't think it matters what you call it. Uh, yeah. It is what it is. But but keep in touch. It's really, really important. Uh, We are uh, just about out of time, so I'm going to give both of our guests uh, 20 seconds each with something to leave us with. Dr. Miller? Yeah, I think, you know, um, I I would just encourage people over the next coming weeks to uh, take the the advice of, um, you know, minimizing... you know, physical contact with others, uh, only go out with ne- when necessary. Um, I know this is a big challenge, but the, the short-term pain uh, will pay off in, in the long term by ensuring that these measures don't have to persist uh, any longer than necessary. Uh, and of course, I'm sure my colleague will, will talk about the importance of uh, maintaining good mental health during these difficult times. Yeah, 100%. And, and so, you know, the first tool of that, again, I mentioned before, is guided relaxation. I highly recommend people look at that. But for a less geeky option, I also like to highlight um, singing and laughing uh, as, as very powerful antidotes to stress. And so, you know, last night my wife and I listened to the Beatles' number one album, which is, you know, we know every song and we can sing along with every song. Um, and so doing that or karaoke, I'm suggesting in a family environment, um, if you're older people, you know, bring up some of those songs that you know and love. That is a very powerful escape. Music has a way of engaging us in a, in a much more automatic way and kind of taking over our, our mind and, and in the best cases, our bodies as well. Go with that. Use that music power. Use laughter uh, every chance you get. As, as a and, way of and, and we are going to our music programming after the next newscast here on Zoomer Radio. If you want classical, it's on Classical FM. And I would like to thank Dr. Steve Jordans and Dr. Matthew Miller. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you. Okay. And... Free for All Friday coming up tomorrow if we couldn't get to your call or if you have something else to say. That's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.